house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. My first ever. I'm about to make the first public speech of my life. Imagine them naked. I'm afraid I gave that up several years ago. Ah, there you are. Good as new. Really? No, of course not. <laughs> Would you like me to not fix that chair? How can you bear this country? What do you see that I don't? All the light, colors, smiles. It teaches me something. <laughs> She wants to thank you for your kindness. I haven't been kind. You are the only one that acknowledges her. I'm not eating that. Hello and welcome to the This Head Oscar Bus podcast, the only big dumb baby pie podcast. Every week on This Head Oscar Bus, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always with a telemarketer interrupting my favorite television program, Joe Reed. <laughs> but let's talk about what the program is and let's, uh, let's, let's get into your Life. The program oh, yeah. that she was talking about was like Maury Povich or something, something like that. Yes, Springer. Yes, one hundred percent. Yes, yeah. Judy Dench basically describing a TV, a talk show, television program where somebody is having sex with a bunch of different people's moms or the moms. She also kind of, of predicted Milf Manor, so that <laughs> she was. She had her favorite show is Love Island Milf season. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Chris, this was your first time watching The Best Ma- Exotic Marigold Hotel. That's very exciting for you. It was. I was excited to finally catch up to this movie, which I pointedly waited for us to do with because I m- never um, saw it in theaters. Yeah. Gotta say, I was a little disappointed. I get that. Watching it again, I was like, oh, I don't know if Chris is going to like this movie. Um, I mean, spoiler alert. Part of it was like Tom Wilkinson maybe dies too early in this movie. He There's maybe a lot does. of movie left after he dies, and he's such a dynamic part of the movie and the story. I and he's so like saying the best part of the movie. I really like Judy Dench and Bill Nye in this movie. Like I think that both of them are are very compelling, and I enjoy watching them sort of find their way to each Speaking other. Of ultimately, milfs. she's. A- <laughs> I mean, like, let's talk. Let's have age discourse on this episode. Oh, what is the age gap between Judy and, and Bill Nye? She's like fifteen years older than him. Good yeah. for you, Judy Tench. Hundred percent. Go, girl. Hundred percent. Um. Yeah, I enjoyed them. I think this is like a low key fave Judy Dench performance of mine. Even though, like, she's good. She's and it's and it's not really asking the big sort of histrionics of her. She has you know these emotional moments, but it's nothing that's terribly huge. But I think she's funny. I think she's sort of like Riley funny in this. The part where she's flustered and she goes and grabs the um the glass in front of Celia Emery and downs it, and then she goes, "That was gin," you know, and she goes, "I realize that now." Um, <laughs> that's the part that's in the trailer. Um, I just think it's very funny, but yeah, I really was into the Tom Wilkinson storyline. Uh, very sort of emotionally affecting, and 
I think you're probably right that it, that sort of gets dispatched early. Although I wonder if it had gone on longer, it would have been like, oh my God, we get it. He's going to die and it's going to be very sad for right. everybody. You know, because it's supposed to be the surprise that he's the one that dies. And I feel like the movie only gets away. You're right. It only gets away with that because he's the one that we see less of than we would maybe like to up yeah. until the moment that he dies. You know, like, like I, I do like, like he needs more of him. I do like the fact that immediately after that, Judy Dench's sort of voiceover is like, you had to know somebody was going to die in this like hotel <laughs> full of old people. And it's like, fair play, Judy, fair play. Like, we were all thinking it. So um, that was it good. It does no, put I- you somewhat at ease for the rest of the movie that none of the any of the other cast members are probably going to die. This is true. Um, even though they tried to do the, you know, the fake out thing with, um, the horny old man, who's the actor's name I can never remember, um, uh, that you think he's going to like up. have a, uh, a Viagra incident. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, they definitely sort of fake you out there a little bit, but that thankfully doesn't happen. I, I remember seeing this movie in theaters. This is a movie that. Uh, a friend and former guest, uh, Bobby Finger, and I uh, had would talk about a lot. I, he was very enthusiastic about this movie, and I shared in that enthusiasm with him. So whenever I think of this movie, I kind of think of Bobby, and I'm probably going to text him after we're done talking about this and being like, that's what's coming up. Um, but I, it also fits very neatly into a genre that I really like, which is this sort of old especially older characters sort of like finding a new gear in their life in a way mm. that is not so like they're not like you know stealing you know gold or something like that you know what i mean it's not like you know one last heist or something like that for the last for the gang or whatever but it's they're sort Gloria of making, Bella Jason. right sort of making these small changes in their lives that end up affecting them profoundly watching this movie again this time which is probably the third time i've seen it um I think maybe watching it with a little more critical eye, I'm like, I can imagine where like people watch this movie and find the portrayal of the Indian characters, maybe a little condescending or thin in comparison to like, it's these sort of like old white Brits descend Mm -hmm. upon them and like learn something about their lives. And like, nobody loves that genre. I think this in particular, I think old Parker in particular with the screenplay to this and old Parker ends up directing the second best exotic Marigold hotel. in addition. Mm, I looked that up. He does not. He doesn't? No. That's insane. That it's I, also John Madden. Why did my brain, like, uh, you know what it is? It's because Ol Parker directs the second Mamma Mia. And so that's, yes. my brain is like, Ol Parker directed a second of something. He's done so much for us. <laughs> um, But he's, uh, he's uh, the screenwriter for this. It's surprising to me that this is an adaptation from a book because I so, like, associate this story with uh, Ol Parker. But anyway, um, I think he does a very good job of sort of moving, making the story feel organic rather than touristy, even though, like, the tourism of it is kind of part of the point with a lot of the characters. But Mm -hmm. it feels Especially Maggie Smith and Penelope Wilton, who are, like, full-blown racists arriving in India. Right. 
And I kind of respect the fact that, like, Penelope Wilton makes it through the entire movie and, like, doesn't really change. Stays a racist, And yeah. stays, like, mean old bag or whatever, and then, like, gets back on that plane in first class or whatever. And it's like, yeah, sometimes, like, not everybody, like, comes around. Yeah, and I always appreciate the, the in, you know, these kind of ensemble pseudo-romance or, like, ensemble multi-stories happening at once movies when there's one that doesn't end happily. Yes, and I think that I mean even the fact that like like Tom Wilkinson dies, but that story ends well, right? Where he gets his closure and um, the sort of the love of his life. We find out that he had never really forgotten him, and all of that. So like even that storyline ends a little bit happily, whereas like the Penelope Wilton story is just like. Yeah, she's going to go back to America and probably be happier there because she doesn't have to, you know, confront anything foreign to her. And she's just going to live a embittered old life and whatever. And thankful that Bill Nye gets to sort of cut that anchor <laughs> off of mm-hmm. his life a little bit, which is nice. Um, what did you think of, and I guess this is something we'll get into even more specifically over the course, or after we get through the plot description, but like in general... What did you think of, like, the Dev Patel parts of the movie? The sort of, like, the, you know, wonderkind entrepreneur who's the fuck-up, really, uh, thing? It's the part of the movie that felt, to me, the most like an actual romance or a romantic comedy in this. Because mm-hmm. even even though there's romantic and sexual dynamics to everybody else's characters, it feels like that is symptomatic or that is this, like byproduct of what's actually going on with those characters, what their actual arcs are. I feel like I'm about to start arguing my way into liking this movie more. Maybe you um, are. <laughs> Maybe you are. Um, uh, but specifically the Dev Patel stuff, which felt most overtly like a typical rom-com type of setup um, and payoff, and the story beats are exactly like you would expect from a romantic comedy. It felt way more like kind of shoved into the movie like it felt like two movies kind of at odds sometimes which is of course unfortunate because this is the non-white characters story right um it it doesn't ever feel like he he is as integrated to the story as much and granted like he interacts with the characters but i feel like the way out of that is having them either interact more or interact more as a group with him so that it feels like he belongs with those stories too. Yeah. I do feel like you get the sense that he has like, he has affection for them and they have this sort of like odd affection for him. They're a little, they're a little sort of like, Oh my God, this guy's like kind of a fuck up, but also like they're, they, he endears himself to them in, uh, in interesting ways. And and I like the fact that that's the that doesn't seem particularly condescending to me. That like that character sort of it's not like they adopt him, right? You know what I mean? They sort of, you know, endure. Yeah, he's not the movie's pet. Exactly, exactly. Um and and I like Dev Patel in general. This was interesting. This was kind of a a big post slumdog step for Dev Patel, I feel like, where he's this yeah, sort of, he's like, still featured... firmly in twink territory and not yet in hunk territory. No, hunk doesn't come really until Lion, right? Yeah, when Lion happens, everyone's like, oh. Yeah, oh. <laughs> oh, I see. Uh, Got it. Uh, uh, the, the, the chai vendor has grown up, finally. Um, Dev Patel's not in the MCU, right? 
No. We must protect him at all costs, then. Well, they keep talking about him for Bond, which I think would be, like, an interesting choice for Bond. That would be so good. Um, But but that is also sort of, like, you know, hitching him to a franchise, also in that way. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, well, and my thing about Bond is I want Bond to get back to, like, frivolous fun again. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I was never all in on the Craig Bonds in the way that everybody else was. Right, right. And maybe I liked No Time to Die because even though it is still serious and is like all about bringing it close to those stories, I sure. do think there is the most frivolous fun in that. Than we that are forgetting the fact that like we are about to enter a decade of the uh, Gawain cinematic universe for, where uh, <laughs> David Lowry's The Green Knight is going to have multiple sequels. And Speaking of going, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um Oh, what a movie. That Another was. movie yeah. with surprise gay shit. Very true. Yes. God, what a film. What a fantastic film. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this movie, though. This is one I've sort of had on the, you know, the back burner for a while there, just because it is something that just, like, it's one of those ones where I watch, I get to the end of it, and I just sort of, like, what a nice movie. You know what I mean? And, like, and they don't mean that as a pejorative in any way. Um it's, yeah, what a nice movie. I don't know. I really like it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do we want to do, do we want to subject me to Should the Should we throw you into this, uh, I'm guessing, very difficult 60-second plot description? Yeah, and I haven't made notes once again. I'm in a very, like, wing it kind of a place in my life at this point. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've really uh, uh, freewheeled these last few plot descriptions, so we'll see how that goes. Myself um, as well. I'm like 36 hours away from getting on a plane and a vacation that is so desperately needed. Oh, get get there. Just just get to that finish line, and then... Uh, <laughs> and we'll then, both get there, buddy. But yes, before it, we do so, we have yes. an episode to deliver today. We have On Deck for the Gary's The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, directed by, maybe secretly, the This Had Oscar Buzz director, John maybe Madden. Secretly. This is our yeah. fourth John Madden? Watch out, Ridley Scott. Madden's coming. Uh, see, what I'm saying is when we get a director that we've hit six times, we we have to include the director in the Six Timers Club, too. I we feel. should. We haven't made it there yet, but uh, we definitely should. Yeah. We'll it's a... look for avenues to get John Madden in there. Yeah. Uh, written by the aforementioned Ole Parker, based on the novel These Foolish Things by Deborah Mogick, uh, not based on the song Foolish Games by Jewel. <laughs> But I would say a lot of these characters are brilliant in the morning, and uh, I, I love that about them. So, <laughs> Foolish Games from the Batman and Robin soundtrack. I forgot that that was on the Batman and Robin soundtrack. I, I thrived on the Batman and I Robin I always would sort of, like, used. raise a skeptical eyebrow at songs that made it onto soundtracks after they were already established as part of, like, a hit album or whatever. Right, right Where it's right, like, you're right. just borrowing. This is just, you know, but, but, like, and not, like, you know, you're pulling from, like, a back catalog or something, or, like, pulling something that's, like, several years old. Where it's like, you know, Pieces of You was still, Pieces of You, Pieces of Me, what was that? Pieces, pieces of, of you. You. Pieces of pieces me, of me Ashley is Ashley Simpson. Simpson. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Damn it. Um, the two genders. The two genders. Pieces of you or pieces of me. What are you? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, the the players of these foolish games that are tearing we apart yes. are Judy Tench, Maggie Smith, Tom Wilkinson, Bill Nye, Penelope Wilton, Celia Imrie, Ronald Pickup, and Dev Patel. The film was released in the UK in February of 2012, but didn't release in stateside until the beginning of May of 2012. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Mr. Joseph Reed, are yeah. you armed and ready with a 60-second plot description? More or less, yes. All right. Then your 60-second plot description for The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel starts now. So, dissatisfied with their lives or otherwise at odds and ends in uh, Britain, a group of retirees decide to move to Jaipur, India, to live in a what they believe is a retirement community that is called the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. It is run by Sonny. He is basically getting this uh, hotel up and running and off of the ground while these people are moving in. It's a very... Um, throw your hat over the wall and then know that you're going to have to chase it over there approach to uh, the hospitality industry. Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Okay. So Judy Dench is Evelyn. She's widowed. She gets a job there helping people at a call center sort of better uh, relate to people. Bill Nye and Penelope Wilton are married. She's awful. He's very nice. He likes Judy Dench better. He eventually leaves his awful wife for Judy Dench. Tom Wilkinson is uh, Graham. He's gay. He has an old lover who... Fuck, he, like, he knew decades ago, and then he comes back and he meets him, and it's very nice, and then he dies. Celia Imry is, like, a, like, hot-to-trot older lady, Blanche Devereaux type, who's lost her mojo, and and then Ronald Pickup is a horny old goat, and he doesn't die while fucking a lady, which is good for everybody. Um, The hotel is in dire financial straits, but Sonny pulls it together with the help of Maggie Smith, who plays Muriel, who has a hip replacement in India, and um, ultimately provides the uh, money and expertise to help get the, uh, the hotel go in again and we'll have a sequel very soon the end and uh almost at 30 seconds you forgot (laughs) to mention sunny is in a romantic oh uh, yes i know with a woman who works at the call center but because she is of a lower class his mother is like not supportive of their relationship even more so unsupportive of sunny running this hotel and is trying to get him to marry off in an arranged marriage. Yeah, there's a lot of characters, obviously. I think the ones that get focused on are mostly Judy Dench, Tom Wilkinson, uh, Dev Patel. Even, like, Maggie Smith kind of, like, recedes for a while. She's sort of, like, once mm-hmm. she has her hip surgery, she's just sort of, like, sitting in her wheelchair in the courtyard. She has a small storyline. Becoming story less line. racist, as the movie would like us to believe. Right. I don't so okay so you seem to not love that storyline and like I don't it's okay I, don't I mean mind her storyline's story okay because we we really I think it's are just fine to have a story about somebody becoming this, less like, racist huh I think it's fine to have a story about somebody becoming less racist I think ultimately sure that's not a sin well it, it, she starts I I think the problem with why it is at least unpalatable, not Mm -hmm. wrong, not like that, but just like unpalatable and less fun to watch than I was expected is like, that is her defining trait at the beginning. She's just this mean lady who then we eventually learn about and we're supposed to feel less bad about disliking her for being a racist lady. And but like her story i suppose is interesting it's just i don't find her story incredibly satisfying because like everything we learn about her we learn in one monologue 
that she sure. just kind yes. of is, yes. you know, there's there's this service woman in the hotel who, like, she'd been kind of giving tips to or trying to throughout. And, like, yeah. we realized she might see some of herself in this person because she right. herself used to work in that type of service industry. And she was a nanny for a while and uh, eventually was dispensed by this family as she aged. And then right. she really had no life of her own to speak of and she could only afford this very small home and so she's stuck in these small quarters well and there's also the sense that like if you have to go to a country so far away for a hip replacement operation because you can't afford to get that operation done in your hometown that's scary like I, i think it's one of those things where it's like there's there's a lot of ways to understand this woman's sort of harsh demeanor and like i'm not like excusing you know racist attitudes of course but there's there's a a harshness to this woman that you look at her circumstances and you're like well yeah like that tracks like that that makes some degree i also think like we are we are not unfamiliar to maggie smith mean old bag performances and this one i felt easily is like the least funny of them oh definitely yeah like the jokes don't land as much in this and not not for her fault but like we've seen her give variations of this performance before Mm -hmm. and so much better and yeah it's interesting there's a moment towards the end of the movie when she's kind of laying out her plan to save the to help sunny save the hotel and she asks Evelyn, the Judy Dench character, if she's going to be staying around. And they kind of make mention of the fact that, like, we haven't really talked much during our stay here. And it's like, yeah, they kind of haven't. And, like, that's this is like Judy Dench, Maggie Smith, you know, The BFFs. movie comments on itself quite a bit. <laughs> it does, kind of. But, like, they're, like, you know, real-life friends and have been in 8 billion movies together and whatever. It's like, maybe the movie would have benefited from a little bit of, a, you know, another scene or two of these characters playing off of each other. I would um, because like I more think group scenes to be the honest. movie the movie is better when these characters are playing off of each other more. There's a scene where um uh, all of the like Tom Wilkinson Judy Dench scenes I think are really good together. I think he has a brief scene with Maggie Smith that I really like and yes, I think more interaction of the group would have been good. You get the like, Celia Emery and Ronald pickup are sort of like siloed off a little bit into the like horny category of this mm-hmm. movie and that would have been nice to sort of like even but they have they have some scenes you know with the other two celia in particular has a nice little like biting remark to penelope wilton's character at some point and uh ronald pickup has a nice little scene with tom wilkinson like right before he dies like that's basically like mm-hmm. tom wilkinson's last conversation in this movie is with a uh, horny old man norman um I liked. I just liked the moments where I felt like they were actually communicating or supporting for each other. Even as simple as like the scene where Judy Dench and Bill Nye go with Tom Wilkinson to meet his former lover. You know, mm-hmm. to just like show that mutual support, and they don't even say anything. They don't. Um, no, that's a but, really nice. You know, scene, it, it just kind of adds to the vibe. You know, yes. that I feel like the movie was lacking a little bit of. And yeah. I wanted. I can see that. This is one of those things where it's like, if this was like a BBC TV show that like I would 
come across on like you know PBS or something like that. Like you, it's like oh, it's run for eight seasons and it's had twenty five episodes. Do you know what I mean? You say this like this isn't going to happen in ten years. There will be a Best Exotic Marigold Hotel limited series, and I will very much enjoy it. I will very much enjoy every bit of it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this movie comes at during a fascinating Oscar year that I don't know if we talk about as often. I can't remember the last time we've had a 2012 movie where we've really talked about the 2012 Oscar race. And we do, we tend to sort of talk about the Argo of it all mm-hmm. and the sort of Affleck of it all. But I think I'd, I'd like to be able to talk about the supporting categories at the 2012 Oscars, because that's where any of these actors, I can't imagine they would have pushed anybody from this movie as a lead. I think anybody who Judy Dench. Well, yes, I think that's true. Um, and everybody else is sort of supporting. and But, like, the supporting categories at the 2012 Academy Awards end up being sort of... Anne Hathaway is sort of like march, march, marching to mm-hmm. that Oscar. And then the supporting actor category is this, like, huge hodgepodge of who's going to win because they've all won before. And it ends up being, I think, kind of the least interesting option in that it's... Christoph Waltz getting a second Oscar very soon after his first mm-hmm. for a performance that doesn't really reveal too much more about him as an actor. And I think it's a I think it's a good performance. I mean, I don't I think, think it's, it's a bad performance. No. One of the things I like more about that movie I don't like. Um Right. But I think it's I think ultimately what it came down to is that he was in the movie that was gaining momentum as voting mm-hmm. was happening. That's probably versus true. Every, everything else was kind of stagnant, even though Tommy Lee Jones won the SAG for it. But at that point, I yes. think voting had already happened. And who won the BAFTA that year? Because I feel like it was definitely... Philip Seymour like... Hoffman won Critics' Choice, right? And I feel like De Niro won something. I Hold don't on. think he did. You don't think Unless so? Unless maybe it's BAFTA. Maybe Christoph Waltz won BAFTA? Let me look. Yeah. Shout out, by the way, to Barry Keoghan, who just won the BAFTA for Supporting Actor today. Surprisingly. Hours ago. This. Yeah. Good for him. Um, so 2012. <laughs> no, no, that Christoph was Christoph Waltz. Waltz. did win yeah. BAFTA. Okay. Maybe I'm just making it up. De Niro's not even nominated for the BAFTA that year. That, no. They went for... Javier Bardem is nominated. Javier Bardem place. for Skyfall. Yeah. Um... But, yeah, I guess we should maybe start with talking about Judy Dench, though, because she is, if anyone, the lead in this movie. And she did the get... The headliner. The headliner. Um, has sort of like, I don't know, kind of a lovely story in this. I like the part where she's tutoring the people on uh, call center, the uh, best practices. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I like watching a movie where somebody sort of like finds their finds their niche, finds their thing that they are good at. And she's somebody, I, the the thing in the story is, well, she's had so much experience with dealing with un, you know, unsympathetic call center people who call her and have no uh, essentially bedside manner. Um, and then she's trying to teach these people. It's just like, just talk to 
talk to old people like they're people. Old people are people too, essentially, is her right. message. To this, she uh, basically gives a whole spiel and TED talk of just to have a conversation with them because chances are they're lonely. Which, yeah. uh, you know, which is like, like here's how to better old people, Dame Judy. Sure. Or, you know, sitting around waiting for someone to call. She know? is also maybe being disloyal to, to the tribe a little bit and teaching people how to better uh, get old people to <laughs> spend their money on telemarketing. Yes. Yeah. So maybe that. But whatever. She found a job that she likes. And isn't that yeah. She's thriving. She's thriving. Good for this. Um, we got to talk about the Golden Globe nomination, though, because... She is Golden Globe nominated for Best Actress in a Comedy. Uh, the second time we've had occasion to talk about this particular category, because ages ago we covered salmon fishing in the Yemen on this podcast, uh, Emily Blunt, one of the nominees. But of course, this is the year, and we're going to play the clip, as we always do, of Kristen Wiig and Will Ferrell reading the nominees for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy, and <laughs> essentially just like ruining the rest of the show, because like nothing in the rest of the show was going to ever like live up to how... Uh, lovely and hilarious that whole that whole moment was uh i don't know the once they you get, get to, out of here the you get out of here once they get to the part where like meryl streep is the sheriff atop the horse riding into hope springs <laughs> like that's fantastic also i still have never seen quartet but i will always call it the quartet now like the there's quartet, no right. well we could do an episode on the quartet we should and maggie smith uh, a, a co-star to judy dench is i know at first i i was wondering why maggie smith maybe didn't get a supporting nomination from the globes for this movie and mm-hmm. it turns out they were already showing her love for the quartet yes oh like and then of cl- course inescapable the quartet like you like you couldn't you couldn't turn a corner without seeing (laughs) two people on a street corner talking about quartet yeah well then you also follow this up with jennifer lawrence winning for silver linings playbook and people not understanding half Mm -hmm. of the bits that she did because she goes up there and says look it even says i beat meryl oh what does it say i beat meryl um (laughs) I and beat people Meryl. immediately respond like she's just said some shitty comment and not like she was quoting the first wise club. Uh, uh, Ooh. Know what it uh, says? It says, I beat Meryl. It does not. This was before First Wise Club was on streaming and everybody read. Right. But that's how you knew Jennifer Lawrence was a real it. one, though. Jennifer Lawrence was a real one for knowing, like, mm-hmm. not even like a like oft quoted line from the first wives club. That was a little right. bit of like a, you know, if you know, you know, kind of a line. And Meryl was not there that year at the golden globes because she had the flu. So she wasn't there to like give her reaction, which would have been, I don't know if Meryl would have recognized the line, even though it's her dear friends, uh, Goldie <laughs> and Diane and bet in that film. So, um, I would have liked to have seen Meryl's, at the very least, even if Meryl thought she was just saying that, I think Meryl would have, you know, been a little bit delighted by it. Meryl's a good sport about these kinds of things. So, um, yeah, no, I love that moment. That was one of, like, the whole Jennifer Lawrence roller coaster of her Silver Linings playbook year, where it just went from, like, love to resentment to rebounding to like maybe she's like you know no she's still she's cool no no she's she's fake you know she all this going of, up the stairs to her right, oscar which people and thought people was think that staged. it's planned right right 
Um, the thing about Jennifer Lawrence is whatever you want to say about liking her or not, mostly I think some of the act is just she smokes that much weed. Um, yeah. And she's just stoned. Also, sometimes. she's very clearly somebody who got very famous very quick and to me at least was a little bit unsure of how to present herself. I think she really wanted to present herself in a way that made her seem like all of this wasn't changing her. You know what I mean? I think she seemed like somebody who really wanted to present a version of herself that was, and I don't even think it's a false version of herself. Right. I also feel like when you get that meteorically famous that quickly, because mm -hmm. this is like, she wins the Oscar and starts the hunger games in the same year. Um, And the X-Men also, I believe. uh, That was before hunger games. X-Men, the first... But they're happening. It's happening. What year was the was the the first Hunger Games? Uh, 2012. Okay, so yeah, so X-Men was the year before that. Yeah, yeah it's in right. March of 2012. So she gets X-Men off of uh, uh, Winter's Bone. Yes, I do believe. Yeah, but yeah. either way, she's getting so super famous. But the thing about Jennifer Lawrence is, all of this, whatever you want to think about it, I do think she has always proved to be a complete class act. Like, she, in her Oscar speech, she's, like, trying to think of what to say, and one of them is wishing Emmanuel Riva a happy birthday. Right, right. Yeah, I've her, always liked like, Jennifer Lawrence. I, What do we feel about that performance? What do we feel about her winning the Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook? Do we feel I'm like she has her- the right Oscar for the right performance? Do I think... I think it's two separate things. I don't think she has the right Oscar for the right performance, but I am happy that her Oscar is for a performance that has the qualities that it has. Yeah. I agree you with know, that. Like I, I would rather her have an Oscar for something like this than, oh, say Serena, one of our first well, episodes. Or, or doing something like that. Or or for American Hustle, which she probably does win if she doesn't win the Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook the year before. And I think of the two, I would much rather her have the Oscar for Silver Linings Playbook. That's a movie, we rewatched that one for our Best Actress, uh, 20th Century Best Actress, 21st Century uh, Best Actress winners draft for screen drafts. And I ended up liking that movie. I liked it the first time too, but I sort of thought that in the ensuing years that I would like it less, and that was not the case. I think it's a pretty good movie. I like that movie. I do think it holds up, but nobody's ever going to revisit it. I think people would be a lot more fair and would talk about that movie more if it never had even a toe in the Oscar race. That's probably true. Um, Yeah. That movie had an interesting... where It was out of Toronto, right? Where all of a sudden... We're out of Toronto, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, "Silver's so, Choice," and and everybody was like, "This movie is going to be a thing," and and it was not a movie. I don't think that a lot of people had on their radar because maybe I was. It just was not a slow pe- burn release wise. If I'm remembering yeah. correctly, they really measured out that release in like slowly building it wider and like trying yeah. to make a crowd pleaser out of it. Well, and the Did other it thing was make like a hundred million dollars, or am I crazy? I mean, I think it probably did. American Hustle did. Yes. Um, hold on. I've got it right here so I can uh, find it. And also, like, The Fighter made a, a good amount of money. So, like, David O. Russell was on a really good streak. Yeah, box office-wide, worldwide, it was, like, $235 million. Um, 
And of course, Box Office Mojo isn't working for me right now, so that's great. Um, but yeah, it's worldwide box office was 236. So yeah, it definitely made a lot of money. And, but it was also the fact that like previous to the fighter, David O. Russell had been in this like wilderness where he hadn't made a movie in forever and nailed was, you know, on a shelf and Alan Smithied and all this sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, Right after Fighter, he's going to come up with, you know, the fact that he has like two more movies within three years of the Fighter is, you know, was kind of crazy. But mm-hmm. so Silver Lang's playbook, to me at least, kind of came out of nowhere, out of Toronto. And then all of a sudden, Jennifer Lawrence is the front runner and best actress, was really only challenged, I thought, initially by Jessica Chastain, which then stopped after. Uh, Bigelow the doesn't controversy get, for that yeah movie. the controversy and Bigelow doesn't get best director nomination and then people were like but Emmanuel Riva she's so old like that that was Emmanuel Riva gives no, a no, phenomenal <laughs> no she gives a phenomenal performance but that was I think the I think a little condescending nature of the the campaign which there was, was a condescending nature to the physical nature of that performance which she physically has to like go through and they were like but she's doing it while also old this like, is the you thing you don't I, think an old person can do this it's a so, great like, yes you're right it was condescending but people were like don't you want to vote for emmanuel riva because she's old and it's just like no maybe vote for emmanuel riva because you really like her performance like that's allowed <laughs> um it's a wild best actress year because that was the year where um beasts of the southern wild kept not showing up in precursors like there was it was early on people were like oh this is going to be one of those like little films that could and it's going to be a best picture nominee and then it's kept like not showing up in Kavanjane Wallace kept not showing up in best actress lineups and people were like well i guess like you know they're resistant to give it to a little kid and yada 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 it's not going to happen and even Emmanuel Riva i feel like was um or no less it was less Emmanuel Riva and more like a more in best picture and best director where people were like, yeah, it's maybe a little heavy for, you know, for it to show up mm-hmm. in there. And then uh, Oscar Day, Oscar nomination day, Amour and Beast of the Southern Wild end up getting picture, director, actress nominations at a time when, like, Argo falters a little bit and Zero Dark Thirty falters. And it's a year that really benefited from... a. Usually only one movie with this type of narrative can push through, but it's a mm-hmm. this is a year where multiple movies that the narrative are like kind of a groundswell of support because an outsider movie. movie. Yeah, yeah, it's an it's an outsider, it's an unlikely case for Oscar, mm-hmm. etc. I think I still think, I think that it is wild that the entire season basically runs with Emmanuel Riva getting called out for a more and not Jean-Louis uh, Trantignant. Who's so good. Um, opposite her, who is doing equally amazing work. Yeah. No, he's so incredibly good in that. <laughs> you alright? I just want a glass of water. That was a gin and tonic. Mm. I knew that now. Chris, put down that Viagra uh, before you go out for your night on the town with... Uh, with the old horny goats of uh, of you joke, but gay people, do that. Hotel. gay people are so crazy. Listen, I, I can't talk about it right we now. Can't we're talk talking about, about we're talking about the Vulture Movie Fantasy League, which is going into its home stretch. We are now uh, uh, seven days away from the Academy Awards. We will have an update uh, for this, and we will have one more update. Yeah, we will have one more update for uh, for next weekends as we. Uh, 
All of the people that have drafted everything everywhere all at once, your points are finally coming in droves. This is what I want to talk about because now it the BAFTAs kind of sag and this. This is the thing. The BAFTAs kind of freaked people out because everything everywhere only won two awards at BAFTA and they got so overwhelmed by uh, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. And already by that point, All Quiet as the like the value behemoth of the fantasy league that was really you had to have all quiet on the western front on your roster if you wanted a prayer to win this league but now after sag which was a near sweep for everything everywhere all at once it and only now, lost in the categories it was not nominated for exactly and it has as just completed a very similar near sweep at the independent spirit awards a thing i remember predicting the day of the nominations for the indie spirit awards i remember texting you and katie and being like so everything everywhere all at once is winning everything it's nominated for and like mm-hmm. that basically happened uh it won much like a- coda like they they put their award strategy yes. around SAG in a lot of ways. They've did they've done so many Q&As and like everyone in that cast has got out in front in front of yeah. like SAG especially. Everything so. everywhere was nominated for 8 independent spirit awards at 17. The only loss it experienced was when Jamie Lee Curtis lost to <laughs> Kiwi Kwan in supporting performance. So it won Every category it had a nomination in. If there was a chance to award everything everywhere all at once, the the Indie Spirit Awards sure did do it. So this, and like points-wise, Indie Spirits weren't like, certainly didn't have the heft that like the SAG points did. But even still, the my sort of long game strategy for picking my roster was... I want to pick the movie that I think is going to be ultimately the big Oscar champ. And then those dominoes will then fall into place however they may. And that's worked out for me. I am now, I, I, I've made my way to the top of the Vulture staff rankings and that's all I kind of care about. So <laughs> that's fine. But I think also now we are seeing as we get into the nitty gritty of this week and then the Oscars next week, I think looking at the overall standings, we are ultimately going to get a champion. We have not had a first place team to date be a team that had everything everywhere all at once on its roster. And I think ultimately we will have a winner of the fantasy league who does have everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. on the roster. I think that is ultimately where we are headed. Um, there is a team. I think who we is could named, be headed towards the biggest Oscar winner since Slumdog Millionaire, which was what? Eight, eight, eight. wins. Which is wild to think of now, but like that movie steamed, steamrolled throughout its whole season in a way. That was one where I think it only lost uh, in the song category to itself. Was that it? Yes. Which is Uh, no. What Uh, else did it lose? Because I think that Slumdog Millionaire was a sound nominee. Hold please while I dip into that. Uh, uh, Slumdog Millionaire was nominated for ten and it won eight. So yes, it lost. Um, in sound editing to The Dark Knight. Yes. And then it lost to itself, uh, Osaya, the song nominee, lost to Jai Ho, of course, the song winner. So, yeah, you're, you are expecting that Everything Everywhere All at Once, which has been nominated for 11, is that right? 10? Uh, 11. 11, nomi- 11 nominations at the Oscars this year. How? What's your number? What's your number that you think Everywhere All at Once is going to clock in at? I think eight is possible. You do? I think it's winning 
Um, all of the top categories it's nominated except supporting actress. So you think picture this director? Is also, this is coming out tomorrow, right? This is coming out tomorrow okay. with the exotic marigold episode. Yes, yeah. we might have done. Yeah, we're not going to go through our like predictions or whatever. But like, yeah, if you're yeah. tallying, picture director, actress, supporting actor, screenplay. That's five. That's... And yeah. then, not score. I don't think. Not song. I don't think. Editing. I think. Editing is possible. Um, even if just that six. Yeah, happens. That's the largest winning Best Picture winner since then. I think it's since a, Slumdog. I think it's a possible for costume. I think it's a possible for. Yeah, maybe that's it. I would imagine my guess, if I was to pick a number, I would probably say five. I think at some point it's going to shake out at five wins for everything everywhere, which will probably be the most wins for a Best Picture winner in a while, right? Because the tendency has been for the Best Picture winners to not win as many as others, right? Dune is the right. most awarded it's not movie last year. the largest winner of the night. Like, I think even last year... When Dune won six, I think that was either the most wins since Slumdog Millionaire or tied something yeah. for the most wins since Slumdog Nomadland won three. Parasite La La won Land f- won six, right? La La Land won a bunch, but it didn't win Best Picture. But yes. Right, but it won six. Like. Yes. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody was the leader that year with four. Shape of Water won four. Uh, La La Land won six, as you mentioned. Sorry, I'm just like paging through. Fury Road Four won Oscars six for Bohemian Rhapsody. It just I know never, it just never ceases to amaze. I know Fury Road won six. Spotlight, the Best Picture winner, won two in uh, 2015. Uh, Birdman tied uh, Grand Budapest with four apiece for most awards that year. Uh, Gravity was the biggest winner of its year. Uh, 12 Years a Slave won three. So yeah, it's been a while since a Best Picture winner won as even as many as five. So that would be... As many as Everything Everywhere is going to win. Yes, exactly. So I think it's going to be... I think you're right. I think it's going to be a big night for Everything Everywhere all at once. So if that is... A, if you are in the top, uh, say, 10 or so of the current standings in the Vulture Fantasy League and you have Everything Everywhere all at once on your roster, I think the future looks bright and uh, start finding a place in your living room for that... Uh, that Roku television because you may be getting it. Um, but I want to talk about, we'll talk about the independent spirit awards and maybe like uh, anything that happened outside of everything everywhere. And it wasn't too much, uh, but uh, best first feature is one by after sun. It was very nice to watch the team from after sun gathered on a stage. That was my number one movie of the year. I just recorded my blankies episode Last week, so that came Might out soon. actually today as we are recording this. So everybody will, uh, if you hadn't followed me on Twitter when I posted my uh, my top uh, movies of the year, After Sun is my number one. I loved it so much. It was wonderful watching that team sort of up there on the stage together. They're all, you know, I, I like any of these awards where like the whole gang sort of gets up on stage. It's been fun to watch the everything everywhere all at once folks all up on stage together. I I'm very much the, the part of me that watches the end credits of Saturday night live to watch people sort of embracing <laughs> and, and, you know, interacting with the host and the musical guest and whatnot uh, really loves that part of, 
award season. So, uh, what were the other winners? Uh, Emily the Criminal won Best First Screenplay in a way. I was sort of expecting that to be, I kind of was mm-hmm. bracing for that to be Bodies, 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 because uh, that uh, movie got a Best Director nomination uh, at the Spirits, but I was happily happier that it was Emily the Criminal. I was, of course, rooting for Joel Kim Booster for Fire Island, because uh, same. I wanted Absolutely to see same. Joel have a moment that would have been very nice. Fire Island was also, I thought, the best nominee in that category. Um, I liked Fire Island, and I liked Emily the Criminal. I was happy, Emily happy with Emily the Criminal became a Netflix hit at exactly the right time for yeah, I think uh, that's right. indie spirit voting yes. um, considering you can just pay a hundred dollars and vote for the indie spirit awards. And that's, uh, you know, how right. women winners are determined. Okay. Um, um, have you seen this movie Joyland that won best international? Yes. Film? Good, movie. Good? Okay. good movie. Okay. Right. Cause I was, I, I, kind of, I was surprising, surprising to me that it won. I was expecting either uh, Santo Mare or Corsage. And of course I know people also really loved return to soul. Um, yes. Uh, I, sorry, go ahead. Big fan of especially Return to Soul and Sound on Mare. Um, Joyland is great, though. It yeah. was the cool. Oscar submission for um, Pakistan, and uh, it's had a really robust festival run. It started in Cannes, where it won the Queer Palm. Uh, nice. And I believe it is coming out to theaters, I think, by Oscilloscope, if I remember correctly. Nice. Um, currently. So look for that. Tar won its one award in cinematography. Uh, Everything Everywhere was not nominated there, so that was why Tar was. Would love to win. see that win repeat at the Oscars. Who do you think is going to win cinematography at the Oscars? Uh, Elvis or All yeah, Western Front. I think you're right. I I'm hoping. I'd rather Elvis. it be Elvis. Me too. Mandy Walker certainly deserves it from uh, her career's work. In addition to the fact that I think Elvis is filmed in a very sort of exciting and spectacular way. I'm so saying if. Uh, if everything everywhere tops out at the five you're predicting, it's going to be a good night for Elvis. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Well, everything everywhere also not nominated at the Oscars in cinematography. So Elvis, Elvis is going to win in a couple of categories that everything everywhere is not nominated because it's also production design. I think Elvis could win. And, um, well, uh, Nepo baby, uh, Catherine Martin, uh, doesn't miss mostly (laughs) Nepo baby because she is famously the daughter of a Senator. Um, wait, is that true? Oh, oh, Jesus Christ, Catherine Martin. God damn it, I missed a Catherine Martin joke. I'm so mad. This is how you know that I'm out of uh Listeners, out of take this thing back to Baltimore. Collect honestly, her. honestly, this thing being my battered psyche at the end of a long Oscar season. Um, I am ready for the longest goddamn nap, I swear to God. Okay, um, uh, Independent Spirit Awards, though, there was one more that I wanted to mention. Oh, All of the Beauty and the Bloodshed wins... Best documentary feature. I don't mm-hmm. think that is being uh, repeated at the Oscars. I do feel like Navalny is the odds-on favorite to win. Happily, I really loved Navalny, so I'm I'm fine with that. I think um, it's going to be Navalny as well. Yeah, I think I, it's very very close. I feel like if it would be Fire of Love, we would have heard yeah. more heat around it. Though it's just like who heat. dislikes that movie? He said heat. Um, Fire of Love oh, did win. You. What it won the DGA. It won. Something. Uh, I thought it won the DGA first documentary feature. Something. It won something. Something. Good for Fire of Love. I'm happy with that. I like that movie movie quite a bit. Uh, Good year for documentary features. I think I've mentioned that before on a previous update, but like, I think all five documentary feature nominees at the Oscars are really, really strong. Um, And that's not always the case. So I was very happy. All That Breathes, I think, is also very good. And... Mm -hmm. 
at the like the worst of the five of them is I think a house made of splinters and like I have no ill will towards that movie. Exactly. I think exactly. That movie uh, is is very sensitively. Filmed. It's probably better than uh, any year I can think of for my least favorite of the documentary. That's exactly it's right. That's exactly right. Heads and shoulders above the worst nominee of that category of recent yeah. years. So we don't really need to linger on this update too much. Like I said, everything everywhere all at once is just racking up points. I think ultimately. Um, anybody who played that long game strategy where it looked like if that's a, that's why not to pat myself on the back because honestly like whatever uh it's not like i had perfect foresighter here but like that's why i made it so expensive to to buy everything everywhere all at once for your roster right. is because i was like this was a possibility it was a possibility that like once a movie sort of gains that best picture like momentum it starts to win everywhere. And so I needed right. people to have to like pay that premium to get there. And I think the alternate was to take in, co- you know, in conjunction tar and banshees and, you know, Pinocchio and whatever that you wouldn't be able to afford if you drafted everything everywhere. So I do feel like there was some, as we, if we do this again next year, which I dearly hope that we do. And I think that we will, um, It'll be interesting to draw upon that strategy, right? Do you take the one big dog in the yard and try to surround that one with like really smart value picks? Or do you, you know, take a handful of the maybe like second tier ones that will get you enough points? And ultimately, it's going to end up being pretty close between those two strategies. I imagine that the top five films will have a little mix of both of those strategies, maybe the top 10 uh, by the time this is all said and done. So. Good job by me. <laughs> if I do say so myself. Um, uh, this was very fun. What did you did you have a good time with this uh, this this season? Of I the, did. Of the it gave season? us certainly an avenue to talk about the current uh, race in like an isolated format in yeah. every episode. I hope listeners enjoyed that. In addition to uh, getting competitive in the game, yes, you know um, we love a game here. Uh, this I is like, like I the said, most official capacity we've had, like a game game that listeners could also participate in. I know. Um, I like I said, I do anticipate. I'm I'm saying this in nothing like an official capacity, but I do anticipate that we are maybe going to do this again next year, and we'll see what kind of uh, tweaks and you know differences we can bring into the gameplay. But this was. A really fun first year to do this, and I hope that all our listeners who have also been playing, I notice every time that like the new uh, newsletter goes out and the new score update goes out, that I do see uh, you know uh, people sort of chirping and chattering about it, which is very gratifying to me. People talking about where they uh, their team stands and how they did, and I'm hoping that it was just very fun for people. So. Yeah, we might have a little bit of a a little bit of a check in next time. By the time you hear from us, though, the Oscars will be done, and the champion of the fantasy league will have been crowned. So um, this is our last chance this before is, the Oscars. This is coming out uh, tomorrow, uh, as of recording. Right, so but the next no, episode. The right, but the, by the time the next episode happens, uh, uh, the yes, Oscars yes. will be done. So. Uh, this is our sort of last chance to, uh, yeah, thanks for taking this ride with us. It was really fun, and we hope you had a good fun time with it, and we hope you'll be back with us next year if we do it. And and we hope by the next time we have one of these updates next week, uh, friend, former guest, and hopeful Oscar winner, Pamela yes. Ribbon, has that statue in her. Sorry I, I didn't make uh, my Year of Dicks draftable. That would have been a very fun uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, it would have been such a high buy-in. Oh, I know. We would have had you would have had to spend all your budget on on my year of dicks. So, um, but really, it's worth it. Worth yeah. it, absolutely. Also, I imagine so many. Uh, uh, if we had known enough about my year of dicks ahead of the uh, drafting stage of this, so many team names would have been <laughs> takeoffs <laughs> on my year of dicks instead of, as it was, so many team names uh, uh, punning off of tar in some way or another. So uh, uh, that'll be Listeners, fun. Listeners, if you haven't watched the shorts yet, please go watch my year of dicks now on Hulu. Yes. Uh, the three best shorts are in order about. Uh, uh, dicks and nuns and walruses. <laughs> so exactly. um, I'm rooting for, those are the ones that I'm rooting for in the short film categories. I'm rooting for the dicks, the nuns, and the walruses, and we'll see how it goes. So um, yeah, thank you for joining us. And this was, uh, this is your Vulture Fantasy League update. Now go back and uh, enjoy uh, Judy Dench and Bill Nye falling sweetly uh, in love with each other. See you next week. Welcome to the best exotic Marigold Hotel. We it's, can't stop talking about best actress, though, before we talk about the other nominee for this year, which is one of our patron saints, Naomi Watts, in The Impossible. In The Impossible. Uh, a, movie a movie no one talked about otherwise. I know, it's true, even though I really, I think I liked that movie more than a lot of critics did. I think a lot of critics found it maybe um, unnecessarily brutal and also maybe uh, emotionally manipulative and... While I can see that interpretation, it, I guess, worked on me. And maybe that's the difference with uh, with me. I remember it's not a movie I would uh, be excited to revisit. But I do go back and I watch the scene with Tom Holland and his brothers reuniting quite a bit. because To abuse is, yourself, basically. Yes, essentially. Because why would you go back it's and so watch that? It's so sweet. It's so because it's a happy ending for them. And Teeny tiny baby Tom Holland in this movie is very good. Like, that was a good. child performance I would get behind uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting some support. Somebody nominated him, I thought. I felt like he was either, like... BAFTA shortlisted or something. I think um, that's right. Um, I can probably <laughs> this is us out. being like, didn't this happen? And looking it up. That's what this episode is. Whatever. I'm fine with that. Um, Tom Holland was nominated by the Broadcast Film Critics Association for Best Younger Actor, which is not like super... Uh, yeah, um, you would expect that. You would expect something like that. Um, otherwise... Reunited with his younger siblings, Sugar and Spice. Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. Uh, National Board of Review gave him Best Breakthrough Actor. Um, the Saturn Awards nominated him for Best Younger Actor. And, yeah, it was a lot of, like, that. Like, you know, Best, best, best Youth Performance, Best... Uh, I thought he got an actual mention somewhere. I thought not so that those too. aren't actual mentions. But maybe like he was a, a maybe he was a runner up somewhere. Um, it's possible. Yeah, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. Like the impossible is. Um. Yeah. Yeah, Judy Dench though. Yes, Judy. Dench. I feel like was probably second place for that globe. A very distant second, but probably mm. second because she's kind of on somewhat of a hot streak. Yeah, Best Exotic Marigold Hotel was a box office success globally. Um, the very next year, she goes and does Philomena. Philomena. Well, and also 2012 is Skyfall, and like people right. forget that like Skyfall made a conscious decision to center her character a lot more than her character normally was centered. And Skyfall was 
on the cusp of a Best Picture nomination. It, it came, I think, very close. Was and probably uh, you know, came somewhat close to two supporting nominations. Oh, oh, to uh, Dench and Bardem. Uh, yes, is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Both uh, nominated at BAFTA. So that was yeah. She was she was having a good year, even though she ends up not getting an Oscar nomination that year, and uh, comes back the next year, raring to go with Philomena. And yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right that she's probably the second place. It's not Emily Blunt for Salmon Fishing. It's not Maggie Smith for Quartet. And I love Hope Springs as a movie, but I don't think of the Merrill Globe nominations. I don't see that one as being one that is. Uh, one of her higher ranking ones, probably. Right. Yeah. People didn't love Hope Springs. It kind of broke the Merrill July, mm-hmm. April box office success right. run. And then it Ricky and the bomb, Flash came but, back. You know, it wasn't making the money that the other summer movies were yeah. that she did. Yeah. I liked it. Steve Carell is maybe the weak spot in that movie, but like I like mm-hmm. all the Streep Tommy Lee Jones stuff in that is movie. Is that before or after Ricky and the Flash? I think it's, it's before. before. It's before. Yeah. Ricky and the Flash is 15, I want to say. I'm pretty sure. Good um, movie. Listeners, go back and listen to our episode on that. Oh, uh, I might do that later. Just calm, calm my nerves and get a cup of tea and, and listen to our Ricky and the Flash episode. Don't listen to our... Uh, you don't listen to our old episodes. That does not sound... Listening to myself doesn't sound relaxing. I sometimes go back. It's, it's it's instructive to me, A, to see how far we've come, and B, to sort of like what was sort of in the ether that we were talking about like several years ago. It's really interesting to listen to like our episodes from 2020 that we're doing like in the thick of pandemic and whatever, and listening to us sort of, uh, I think we become very, I think we latched on to a lot of movies that we maybe wouldn't have (laughs) otherwise where we're just like, I just need something that's like a fun escape (laughs) for me right now. Like there was a lot of that coming from me specifically during our episodes in 2020. Yeah. I don't mind going back and listen, especially when we have a guest because then can, I can just like, you know, Sure, sure, sure. Spending time with a guest again. That's always fun. All right. Let's pivot to Maggie Smith, because Maggie Smith, however, was nominated in a pretty wild uh, supporting actress race at SAG. Yes. Pretty wild, mostly because Nicole Kidman is nominated for The Paperboy. You you said early in this episode that we haven't talked about 2012 a lot. Maybe we just did it a lot early? I think we did. We haven't done it in a while, is my my feeling. But yes. The yeah. Paperboy is like top of my list when people are like, could, "Do you wish you could do an episode again?" Really? I, 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 the because I feel like we could talk for six hours about that movie and not run out of shit to say because when we that kick off insane. When we kick off our Patreon, it'll be a redo of the Paperboy episode with like multiple. <laughs> we guests. will just we will issue weekly episodes where we're talking about the Paperboy. We'll cold call our old guests and they won't know that we're calling and we'll just be like talk about the Paperboy for five minutes and then we're yeah gonna give us five episode. minutes on the Paperboy five good minutes on the Paperboy. What do you think? What's going on? They're all going <laughs> to mention. Uh, if anyone's going to pee on him, it's going to be me, and then uh, that'll be great. We'll get a super cut of everybody saying it in, in Nicole's accent. This is part of the reason why I, last year I got onto the Nicole Kidman train for being the Ricardos of She's Gonna Win. I'm like, they nominate her for the Paperboy. Not the Oscars. <laughs> Not the Oscar, but like the Oscar is never going to nominate. If anybody's going to pee on him, it's going to be me. They just weren't going to do that. They probably but, weren't going to do that, no. God, I wish they did. It would have been so great if they did. 
And yet She's everybody so forgets the, the scene in Tar where Kate Blanchett pees all over uh, uh, her her comp- Naomi conductor Merlant. rival. Yeah. <laughs> Just everybody. She just pees, pees all over like twelve people in a single scene, and right, and and she's probably going to win the Oscar for it. So uh, <laughs> good for her. No, um, we shall see. I think that uh, it is not over. Oh, I think that best actress race is neck and neck right now. I think it's Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, and they are. Uh, I would probably lean to Michelle Yeoh, but then I immediately think like, well, that's what I want to happen, and so am I, is that way? Is that why I'm leaning that way? Get it we'll all see. out of your system, because while we are not recording this close to the Oscars, this is our last episode before the Oscars. Which, by the way, holy shit, you know what that means wow. next week we are cracking open the seal on 2021. Uh, we are not saying anything further about that. Do we want uh, to wait? If since it's, that's the case, Chris, do we want to really quickly? throw out predictions in the top eight categories and since this is our last episode that will air before the Oscars and see how we do. Sure, sure, sure. If listeners are also keeping in mind that we're saying this before voting has actually opened but Before the SAG Awards has happened. Yeah, Yeah. SAG is the only thing that hasn't really happened. Well, um, WGA hasn't. PGA also hasn't. WGA isn't really. PGA... If if Top Gun's going to win anything, it'll be PGA. And but we don't know. Every, when that happens, every all the Top Gun people are going to be like, see, it's going to be Top Gun. And it's like, no, you, you're just looking for something new to say because you're tired of saying the same things. Guess who is not tired of the same conversations? The Academy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's, let's quickly bounce our way through this. Adapted screenplay. Who's going to win? I think it's still Sarah Polly. Yeah, I do too. There's going to be a lot of people now talking about All Quiet on the Western Front because it just won the BAFTA. I think it's a odd screenplay win, but they're odd. The nominees this year are are odd for screenplay. I still think it is going to be women talking, although again, that's the one that I want to win and I always caution myself when I make that uh, as a prediction. I don't I mean like I don't think it's, you know, a complete done deal there's obviously room i we've talked a little bit about this previously i don't think united artists is the greatest at campaigning period but um sarah polly's also been everywhere like posting pictures at every lunch and all of the stuff she's yeah i think i i she's my guess original screenplay who's gonna win this i think is harder Mm mm-hmm than anything else, I do think that maybe this is, I think because, I wish we were guessing director first, but I will just no. say I think Martin McDonough is winning. I do too, but I do feel like I could make a credible case for any of the movies nominated except for Triangle of Sadness. I think even Todd Field for Tar feels like a possibility along the lines of like Spike Jones winning for her or Charlie Kaufman winning for Eternal Sunshine. But mm-hmm. the competition or is even um, Cameron Crowe winning for Almost Famous because that yeah. was relatively close as well. The only reason I'm not saying everything everywhere all at once is because it has better chances to win elsewhere, and I think maybe voters right. will take a break from it in this category. But like, if they if the voters have not entirely abandoned the Fablemans, then the Fablemans does have a pretty good chance in this category too, especially if they're going to say, well, we're not going to give Spielberg director a picture, but they got to give Tony Kushner an Oscar at some point. Well, right. And it's, and it's Spielberg finally getting a screenplay nomination and it's him telling his own story. And if like, if they're going to award the Fablemans anywhere, it's maybe there, but I agree with you that if I were going to put money on anything, it's going to be Banshee's of Sharon. So, 
All right. Best supporting actor. I don't need, think we need to talk about this too Ki-Hu terribly Kwan. long. It's Kihu Kwan. Yeah. He's like, I. Happy Again, for Barry People Keoghan. are going to be, uh, because of the Banshees wins at BAFTA, people are going to be thinking that there's more room for conversation for some of this stuff. Ki Kwan is safely winning. The most predictable win of the night. I'm happy, though, that we're getting a little bit of variety in the precursor awards. I'm glad that, like, it's not the same people winning every single award. And if, like... Yeah, yeah. The BAFTAs, I want variety. The BAFTAs... And the BAFTAs... The BAFTAs... <laughs> the BAFTAs! The BAFTAs are coming for us all. Um... Swinging from the BAFTAs. I'm glad, like, and it makes sense to me that something like the Banshees of Inisharan would, like, do a better at the BAFTAs that they would at the Oscars in terms of the acting category. So, happy for Barry Keoghan. Love that guy. Love that performance. Um, but I think you're right. It's Kihui Kwan who's going to win the Oscar, and I think it's going to be a lovely moment. Best Supporting Actress. I think we both have the same prediction, but I think I... I think Carrie Condon has more of a outsider shot than you do. I think I think Angela Bassett is winning just fine. I think there's a lot of factors there. I think the they as often as they can want to reward people's careers with Oscars and you know, absent them doing it for uh Michelle Yeoh in like a safe bet kind of way. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat become this way for Angela Bassett. And I think that that is a factor that people are underestimating with her chances in that it's a, like, people like to reward a career. They, Do we like career Oscars? No, not necessarily, but it's something yeah. the Academy does. Certainly if she's going to win this, and I do feel like if I'm making a prediction, it would be Angela Bassett. Um, that's going to be, it is going to be as a career performance, especially because I don't think, obviously, like, Wakanda Forever doesn't get a Best Picture nomination the way that the first Black Panther did. I I think there's a lot more mixed reaction to that movie in general. I think if she's going to win this Oscar, it's not going to be specifically for that particular performance, and that's fine. As you say, like, career Oscars happen, and why not have it be for a career as great as hers? But I do feel like I am, and again, I love Carrie Condon as an actress, and I love that performance. And I think in a vacuum, I think I prefer that performance to Angela's performance in Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. But I don't want her to win because I like it's just going to be a mess if that happens, and I would rather not have that. I mess. don't think she's. I I think Angela Bassett is going to win. All right, safely. well there we go. Uh, best actor. This is interesting. I think it's a three-way race. I mean, thank God, because I think I think Brendan Fraser is going to win SAG, and then people are going to be like, woo! Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think it's neck and neck between Fraser and Butler, or uh, Farrell and Butler at this point. Do you feel like if Colin Farrell was going to win the Oscar that he probably would have won BAFTA, though? No. No. I think I think it's that close. I think okay. it's tough. And also, you're also forgetting that, like, love for Banshees of Inisharan is probably more likely to metastasize around Feral at the Oscars, where the movie is less likely to win other things. Sure. Clearly, sure. there were more broad, broadly cast votes for Banshees of Inisharan across the board at BAFTA than there will be at the Oscars. If Austin Butler does win the SAG... Do you feel like it's in the bag for him then? For yes. The at yeah. that point, yes. Yeah. 
Um, I do agree with you. I don't you. think he's winning SAG, though. I agree with you that Brendan Fraser has, has probably a very good chance of winning the SAG. I'm nervous that he's going to win the Oscar. If I'm going to make a prediction for anybody to win Best Actor, I think... So you're saying Colin Farrell. I'm going to stick to Colin Farrell for the time being. I think I'm going to say Austin Butler, but in my head, I'm like, oh, God, I think it might be Brendan Fraser. But I think I think there I mean, while for there was a time I was thinking, you know, Elvis is going to walk away with five or six Oscars. Mm -hmm. I think that the people who love Elvis are going to have their chance to vote for Elvis. And the people who love Banshees of Sharon are going to have less chances to vote for Banshees of Sharon. All right. Best Actress, I'm giving you no more than 20 seconds to talk about why Andrea Riseborough is not winning Best Actress. (laughs) Because uh, campaigns are are, uh, campaigns and narratives are already set. Before the nomination, just because something can happen at the nomination stage. I also watched that movie last night, so like that's partly why it's like top of mind for me. And you did not, you did not like it. I didn't. Um, I I mean, she she's a great actress, but like I don't think that that material she full like like entirely is elevating that material. But even so, yeah, it still makes her look it, it. I don't know. The right. scenes that are just like... Anyway, moving on. Moving Kate on. Blanch- She's Kate not Blanchett. Win. Right. It's Blanchett or Michelle Yeoh. Where are you going? Michelle Yeoh. I am too, but I'm worried it's because that's what I want to win. <laughs> I am. It's not what I want to win. Interesting. Um, so you were, you're rooting for Kate Blanchett. Uh, there's so little that I feel like I'm actively rooting for. I'm probably rooting for Tarda win. You're rooting for everybody line. to have a good time and for everybody to to play fair. And no no injuries <laughs> on the field. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm rooting for no one to get slapped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I think we no, all are. No, like the shit that I'm rooting for this year, I'm like, I'm rooting for Pam. I'm rooting sure. for Tar to get those craft category wins. I'm rooting for... Uh, I'm rooting for Nan Golden and Laura Poitras, but yeah, like yeah. in terms of like the major races, like I don't feel like I have a pony in the race this year. Sure. And like the I love Tar and I adore Kate Blanchett in that movie. And the only way I feel that way is like she's won a shit ton already yeah, for this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. All right. Um. So we're both going with Michelle Yeoh in that. Best. Uh, I'm going for Michelle Yeoh because I do think uh, everything everywhere is going to have a great night. I do too. Speaking of which, best director. I think it's going to be the Daniels winning for everything everywhere at once. I was surprised that when they won the DGA, a lot of people were like, "Well, I guess my predictions are out the window." Like, I think a lot of people were really still thinking that it was going to be Steven Spielberg winning the Oscar That's for best director. Wild to me. Me too. DGA is a more mainstream group than the academy is like well but even so i was surprised that people were predicting spielberg to win best director at the oscars even before the dgas happened which like i was definitely leaving some room for him to win the oscars even though i was saying the daniels but like understanding why people were still saying spielberg yeah i think it's I, I think it's done. I think they're it is, winning. too. I think they've got it. I think they're more wrapped up in Best Director even than Best Picture. But let's move on to Best Picture, where my prediction is everything, everywhere, all at once. But I'm now going to be really worried about goddamn All Quiet on the Western Front for the next month. No. 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 It, no. All, like, there are all – the, all the stuff on paper says – it's not going to happen. It doesn't have a Best Director nominee. It's not a PGA nominee. It's, you know, 
It would be an odd choice. I don't know. Okay. You're letting these BAFTA wins sway you. It's not. It's not. It's not necessarily the BAFTA win, but Kyle Buchanan tweeted something after the BAFTA win that I was like, oh God, where he's like, Oscar voters who don't like everything everywhere all at once are going to be looking for a more traditional alternative. And what's more traditional than a war movie based on, uh, you know, acclaimed novel that was already, you know, a hundred years ago, uh, a best picture winning movie. Do you know what I mean? Where it's like, Those this is as probably already. I mean, it's not going to be because they were looking for it. Those people were probably, probably already like all quiet on the Western front. Well, right. But that's what I mean. It's maybe this was lurking there all along. And maybe this is, you know, maybe this BAFTA win then at least will have them coalesce around thinking it's got a shot. So they're going to vote for it. There's also a lot of people in the Academy that like and this is shitty and awful though like I'll allow it for this movie that I hate. <laughs> uh there's a lot of people that like if something's an international they think that that's where it stays, yeah. you know? Like it, movies can get nominated but like a lot of like it was a big deal that Parasite broke through. Yes. Um yeah. because that is a very real very shitty thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I I need to talk you off this ledge. I'm not on a ledge. I don't think it's going to happen, but I am worried about it. Like I am, I am low key, low key worried about it. Yes, I think Banshees of Inisherin has a better shot at Best Picture. I don't see that, and I don't know if I've ever really seen that. I think your your argument is solid. The the uh, the it's going to be number two or three on a lot of people's ballots. I think that's a solid argument. I just my can't... argument is more it's number ten on nobody's ballot. Sure. I just don't – it's one of those things where maybe I'm just going too much on vibes, but, like, I can't envision the moment where, like, they say at the podium the Banshees of Inisherin. You know what I mean? Like, it's just – That's because of the movie. It's just the movie does not maybe seem Even like though I love it. Kind of movie, to but be clear. everyone loves that movie. <laughs> I love that movie. Um, wouldn't be my vote for Best Picture, but, like, I love that movie. Um, do you think – okay, uh, we only said the top eight categories, but do you think – because I'm very curious to talk to somebody about the documentary race. Yeah. The um, director win for Fire of Love, do you think that that maybe pushes it ahead in a way that I've seen other people saying that that movie seems to have – I'd be more swayed by the fact that the BAFTA win for Navalny pushes Navalny up to the number one spot. Right, that was going to be my follow-up question. I think there's a lot of room for almost all of those movies to win. And I think that helps all the beauty and the bloodshed because if, you know, things are spread it's out had in the that momentum. Way. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. yeah. But anyway, well, listeners, by the time you listen to this, you may uh, be... We could be, sound stupid. Exactly. Or very smart. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. So anyway, all right. Thank you for indulging <laughs> we us always with that sound little... stupid. <laughs> all right. Back to Maggie Smith. <laughs> Maggie Smith, supporting actress nominee at SAG this year, opposite Oscar nominees Anne Hathaway, Helen Hunt, and Sally Field. Mm-hmm. And if anybody's going to pee on me... If anyone's, anyone's going to pee, pee on, on me, it's, it's me. me. Yeah. I mean, technically speaking, if anyone's going to pee on me, it's me. I mean, you know, that's yeah. the most likely culprit. Yeah. Like, I, it, Occam's Razor uh, really comes into play in that one. So, yeah, I think not so. an episode about pee. Um, <laughs> uh, it's interesting that Maggie Smith is a six-time Oscar nominee, and yet, has she been nominated since Gosford Park? It's a no, she right? Not. And it's interesting because her career, she was winning Emmys at those times, or she I was, was getting say, Emmy nominated. Her career has boomed in the you know mm-hmm. two decades 
since Gosford Park. Most of it's been on television. She won a bunch of Emmys for playing uh, the Dowager Countess on Downton Abbey. Uh, Did she exotic- win an Emmy for that? She won several Emmys. She won at least okay. two. Yeah. Did she just never go? No, I don't think she ever went. No. Okay. Um, there you go. But yeah, she's. I think she won two. This is the episode of us going back into IMDb, so I'm going to go look. But yes, um, this is also that, so. a Downton Abbey reunion movie because Penelope Wilton and uh, Maggie Smith, who sparred their way through the entirety of Downton Abbey, are both in this movie. Can we also talk about how it's a room with a view reunion Fuck episode? Yeah. yeah. Well, you just recently watched that movie for the first time. Fantastic movie. Judy Dench Incredible is a delight movie. in that movie. Like everybody is. Like Maggie Smith is maybe my least favorite character just because she's a little bit of a, a, a not not a drip necessarily, but it's just like sometimes I'm in that movie and I'm just like what are you doing, Maggie Smith? Like, why are you ratting out this girl? Why are you, you know, oh, I must protect her from, you know, uh, hot men. Um, and then Judy Dench is on the sidelines being like, I'm just going to write a book about all of this and I'm going to like, you know, <laughs> blow all your secrets out into the out into the open. Uh, what a wonderful movie. Simon Callow's like, am I going to go skinny dipping? I think I'm going <laughs> to go skinny dipping. Am I going to put my penis on full display? Yes, I am. In fact, I am. Um, <laughs> I'm a priest. I can't show my Ghibli bits. <laughs> uh, okay, Maggie Smith won three Emmys for Downton Abbey in 2011, 2012, and then a late one in 2016. So she's also an Emmy winner in 2003 for the HBO film My House in Umbria, if you remember that one, uh, mm-hmm. which... Most people don't. She's an older lady who, you know, goes to Italy. And and who doesn't love that? Uh, I do remember. That was during the, like, early aughts era of, like, I was very, very uh, fixated on all things HBO. That was, like, Sopranos and Sex and the City and Angels in America and that whole era. Anyway, so she is a four-time Emmy winner. She is a two-time Oscar winner. I've only seen one of her two Oscar-winning films. I've only seen The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. I've never seen California Suite. Um, California Suite, which is like, I believe Neil Simon, but it's all of these interconnected stories. And (laughs) Maggie Smith leans into a full F slur. She She plays an actress, right? who is the wife of a homosexual man. She is grappling with his homosexuality. I see. Uh, I believe the, her husband is Michael Caine. She calls him a full F-slur. Like and got an the two-syllable F-slur or the one-syllable F-slur? The two-syllable okay. F-slur. Interesting. Fascinating. Okay. Um, I will try to find a clip to put it on the Tumblr. Nice. Um, Prime of Miss Jean Brody, she's very good in, though, I will say. Uh, that uh, I saw that movie a few years ago. She beats out Jane Fonda in They Shoot Horses, Don't They? One of my, like, all-time I-gotta-see-that-movie movies. Even though everything I hear about bleak, that movie man. is it's like, that's, this is why, this is maybe why I haven't seen it yet. Because every time I say that, somebody else goes, it's so bleak. Like, um, <laughs> uh, beats out Genevieve Bujold in Anne of the Thousand Days, Gene Simmons in a movie called The Happy Ending, and then Liza Minnelli in a movie called The Sterile Cuckoo, which... Which I I want to see these other... Because the, I think Liza has two other nominations besides Cabaret, but I want to see at least The Sterile Cuckoo, because it just sounds like... It's an Alan Pakula film. It's really film. a movie that doesn't exist. Um, but it's an Alan Pakula film with an Alvin Sargent screenplay, so, like, exactly. that's not bad. That's not fucking bad. Um, uh, the California Suite win is... It, it is strange. I think it's... 
it's probably one of those cases of a very prestigious movie and like the support for it metastasize around her because I think there were other nominations for that movie. Mm-hmm. Who was she up against for that? Look that up. For what? Well, for California I, Sweet? Yeah. Because California uh, Sweet is another movie with Jane Fonda in it. It's a very famous cast. Yeah. It, you know, this was at a time, you know, before people, you know, were looking askance at Neil Simon. Well, if it's 78, um, she definitely beat out Meryl for The Deer Hunter. Um, yes. Yeah, Meryl for The Deer Hunter, Maureen Stapleton for Interiors, a movie I've seen very recently. Maureen Stapleton, a low-key four-time Oscar nominee. Like, you don't always, like, realize right. it, but, like, yeah. Um, no no filler to her Oscar nominations are all – she's incredible in all of yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, Penelope Milford for Coming Home, which won uh, actor and actress that year for John Voight and mm-hmm. Jane Fonda. And then Diane Cannon for Heaven Can Wait, which I believe is Diane Cannon's only Oscar I nomination. I love Diane Cannon. I've never seen Heaven Can Wait, but I love Diane Cannon. I haven't seen Heaven Can Wait either. I should maybe do that soon. Um, maybe we'll do a project and we'll get on that together. Maybe. Uh, that's an that's an interesting lineup though. That's a uh, Maggie and Maureen and Meryl and Diane Cannon and that's that's mm-hmm. that's a that's a group right there. So yeah. Um and then her four other nominations, we mentioned Gosford Park, of course. She loses to um Jennifer Connolly in A Beautiful Mind that year. A Room of the View in 85. She loses to uh, Angelica Houston for Pritzi's Honor. She's nominated for Best Actress in 1972 for Travels with My Aunt, which she loses to Liza Minnelli for Cabaret. And then she's nominated for Supporting Actress in 1965 for Othello. That would mean she lost to Julie Andrews? I say with a question at the end of my sentence. Mm-hmm. She lost. No, I think that was the year of the Sound of Music. So Julie Andrews was nominated, but doesn't win. She lost to Julie Christie for yes, darling. Um, wait, no, that's actress. I'm thinking supporting actress. Supporting actress that year was Shelley Winters for A Patch of Blue. Um, a movie that I have not seen, but I have heard. It sounds insane. About. Yeah, I've heard that's, that's the 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 Sydney Poitier um, movie. The young woman is blind yes. and falls in love with a black man because because she's, she's blind. blind. Yes. Only in the 1960s. Like, yeah. yeah, actually, probably not. They would maybe make that movie now. Um, <laughs> that's the new uh, uh, Peter Farrelly movie. Yeah, Green um, Book, but the book is Braille. It's, shut the fuck up! I hate um. Oh my god, that's going to throw me off um, for the rest of this. Yes. There are some bad nominations. Her California Sweet win, I don't love it. And not, I mean, like the best thing about it that I can say is that she says the F slur. Wow, Um, yeah. The only thing I've ever seen from California Sweet is I was at a trivia thing one time at uh, Videology, and it was the clip round. So they show clips from movies. And the clip they showed from California Sweet, I forget what the theme was, uh, but it might have been like actors in movies or something. But it's uh, Robert Culp and Bill Cosby. No. Yes. Yes. Um, and I was like, that's interesting. I had no idea that this movie that won Maggie Smith her second Oscar also stars Bill it's Cosby. It's a bad movie. Yeah. Okay. Um, I also feel like this episode is kind of a tour through an entire precursor season mm-hmm. because we could quickly talk about BAFTA and Critics' Choice because it's one BAFTA nomination is for Best British Film, loses to Skyfall, other nominees are Les Mis. Okay. In terms of being a British movie. <laughs> Tom Hooper is Tom Hooper, you know what I mean? Like, what are you going to do? I guess it counts if it's a British director that Probably was made by filmed an American it, studio. But filmed it in London? Maybe 
I don't know. Maybe, Maybe. but like it looks like Budapest or something. Sure, it sure it sure. Um, Anna Karenina should have won. Oh, Joe writes Anna Karenina, a tremendous film. Now that we now that now that people have come around on Aaron Taylor Johnson a little bit, uh, have they? I think they have. Look at the reaction to him on the Vanity Fair cover. I think it's all thirst and no guilt in a way that like a few years ago there would have been a lot of guilt. Um, I think Tenet turned it around for a lot of people, genuinely. Um, I'm, he's barely in Tenet. He's good in it, though. Um, I've always liked Aaron Taylor Johnson, though, and I've always liked his performance in Anna Karenina, which a lot of people, even the people who liked that movie, sort of tossed off as bad. And I think he's uh, odious in a way that that character needs to be, and also alluring in a way, like maddeningly alluring in a way that character needs to be, and I think it works. And I love that movie, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Looping back to SAG really quickly, it was also uh, a cast nominee. Yes, opposite what? Uh, Argo, which won, Best Picture winner, Mm -hmm. kind of. I actually think it's somewhat surprising that Argo won that, but it definitely showed that the heat was still there. There are so many character actors in Argo, though, is the thing. Like, you remember the closing credits, the one I always make fun of? it's not the character actor movies that win that prize. Some, but it's sometimes it's the movies with the big casts, though. And like, sure, the fact that like Arkin's the only acting nominee, but like you could have definitely seen people go for John Goodman in that movie. Um, Affleck is an actor director, which I think helps in that case, but like, sure, Scoot McNary and Clea Duvall and uh, Victor Garber and all those other people who are in Argo. That doesn't super surprise me that that one. The, the, the other nominees level. are Les Mis, Lincoln, Silver Linings Playbook. This is also an episode about my the dripping disdain off uh, on my voice when I say the words Les Mis. Um, <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> Les Mis gets the cast nomination. More than half of those performances are bad. More than more 90% than percent of those performances are bad. I'm maybe a little bit more generous than you are. What were the What were the ones? I'll that... be generous to Anne Hathaway. I don't think her. Less, I don't think that that's a performance that is ever going to represent what is amazing about her as a performer. Do they say who was who was singled out for the nominee for the nomination? It does. Um, I will read this off: Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, Oi, Anne Hathaway, Amanda Seyfried, Eddie Redmayne, Samantha Barks, Aaron Tveit, Helena Bonham Carter, Sasha Baron Cohen, Isabel Allen, uh, Natalia Angel Wallace, Daniel Huddlestone, and Colm Wilkinson. All right, we're going to go through these very quickly. Um, <laughs> Isabel Allen plays the young Cosette, maybe? I don't care. Maybe. Samantha Barks, sure. Samantha Barks, I think, is good. I like her on my own in that movie. I think she's good. She gets a pass from Bad. Me. Okay. Sasha Baron Cohen, annoying. Bad. Don't like. Helena Bonham Carter, love her. Don't think she's very good in that movie. Fine. Okay. Wow. You, I, I zig, you zag. All right. Russell Crowe, bad. Horrible. Yeah. Anne Hathaway, great. Fine. Okay. Um, is Daniel Huddlestone fucking uh, Givaroche? Oh, the the wee one. Yeah. No, because that actor is some... I feel like he maybe didn't get show up in here. Well, let, l- look him up, because I think that that actor who plays Givaroche is in something else. Hold on. Givaroche it, is in... Is it Oaks Fegley? It's not Oaks Fegley. No. no, Daniel Huddleston was the one who plays Gavroche. Yes. Okay. Um, Good. Bad. No. no so bad. bad. bad, bad <laughs> so bad. bad. Oh, my God. Um, Hugh Jackman. Bad. 
Uh, bad. Yeah. yeah. I want to give him credit for it's a lot of work. Um, yeah, probably bad. Eddie Redmayne. Horrible. Really? Okay. I Horrible. thought it was okay. I thought Eddie Redmayne was okay. Amanda Seyfried, I think, is bad. Amanda Seyfried, I think, is the best performance. I know. You've said this before. I think, I think, I don't like, I don't love her in this. Aaron Tveit, good. Fine. You motherfucker. I think Aaron Tveit's great in this movie. I think of the, like, of the better performances, I put him, Hathaway, I put Hathaway, and then him and Samantha Barks are my favorite. Um, And then Colm Wilkinson, almost unfair. You know what I mean? He's the, you know the Broadway guy who they get to do the cameo as the priest something anyway. Yes. Yeah. It is mostly bad. I agree. I will say best exotic miracle at hotel, not my winning choice, but probably my second place, probably my runner up in this category. Lincoln is your winner. I imagine Lincoln is my winner. Lincoln is the ultimate. And like, that's a movie that only nominate, like there's only like eight people in that, uh, Dude, James Spader deserves an award for its performance in that movie. James Spader but, is so good. But like so many people are not included in that nomination, right. which is like, which right. is a bummer because there's like a hundred. In fairness, actors. Lincoln has 9,000 people in it. Where's Elizabeth Marvel? Where's Julie White? Where's Esapetha Merkerson? Where's, um, oh, who's the Angels in America guy who's in that? Um, ben Shankman. No, but the one who's in Angels, the Angels in America, the stage production, who played Prior Walter on Broadway. Um, what's his name? Andrew Garfield played him on Broadway. Oh, you mean, um, uh, mean Steven Spinella. I mean Steven, Steven Spinella. Spinella, yes. There's multiple Angels in America people. There really are. Because they Tony know how Kushner. to do Kushner speak. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Lincoln's probably my number one. I like the Argo cast nomination. I like the Silver Linings Playbook cast nomination. I think this is a strong category, except for Les Miserables. Yeah, so there we go. Yeah, not not a bad lineup. All right. Um, at Critics' Choice, it was a Best Comedy nominee, um, or no, it was the Best Acting Ensemble nominee. Uh, so again, another yeah. nominee uh, ensemble nomination for this. It's one Critics' Choice nomination. Silver Linings Playbook wins there, and its uh, fellow nominees are Argo, Les Mis, Lincoln, and the perennially screwed over the entire season. Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Even Moonrise Kingdom is my vote there. I would vote for, for Moonrise ensemble. Kingdom over Lincoln. That's a good ensemble. A lot of people are really good in that movie. Both All of those kids, kids are, good. are good in that movie. All the kids Unilaterally, are good. Unilaterally, every kid performance in that movie is stellar. Including Lucas Hedges. Um, Schwartzman's great in that movie. Bruce Willis is actually pretty good in that movie. Can we talk about this for a second? It is so sad what's happening to Bruce Willis. And like, there was this golden opportunity, like, for there are so many people that, you know, they're not typically actor or Oscar performers and they do one slightly Oscar y thing. And they get nominated for it. They had yeah. a golden opportunity to do it for Bruce Willis, and they didn't. Yeah. And uh, what's happening to him right now is just so sad. It's and very sad. Yeah. Talk a little bit about it, though, in case our listeners don't know, because... Um, he he is going through uh, aphasia. Um, it is a type of front, lo- front lobe dementia. Um, he's basically losing his faculties. Um, yeah. They've said he's never going to work again uh it's 
It's just really sad. It is. It's sad. Uh, we talked about in our last episode about how neither one of us are super high on the um, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, speaking yeah. of uh, grandly named hotels in movies. Um, <laughs> but I would have, to me, it would have made more sense if Moonrise Kingdom had gotten the kind of reception that a million percent Grand Budapest uh, had. The other thing is, we didn't mention it with regards to Grand Budapest, but we'll say it here, is I think that movie's Oscar attention makes much more sense to me if Ray Fiennes also gets the Best Actor nomination. Mm-hmm. The fact that he does The best thing about that movie. Makes it all the more inexplicable. But anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else we want to talk about precursor-wise for... Obviously, the precursors that matter the most. The ones that, like, if... if if it was not an a, a you know nomination leader which mm-hmm. i believe it was yeah there is something wrong in the universe say the name it's the aarp movies for grown up awards m for why g's. m for g's what do went they exist for if not cuckoo to bananas the crazy best exotic marigold hotel m for g's went cuckoo bananas crazy for the best exotic marigold hotel as they probably should have um wins best movie for grown ups over not the best lineup Lincoln no. accepted. Hitchcock. But you would think Lincoln would win. You would think Lincoln would win. Listen, what's who's who's more of a grown up than Abraham Lincoln? Just <laughs> he's been around forever. He's been around forever. He's well past retirement age. Um, Hitchcock is nominated. Eh. Les Mis Blech. is nominated. The Sessions, which like I like. The Go performances. off AARP because I like that movie. I, I think I like the performances in that movie maybe more than I like the movie, but um, not a bad nomination there. And then Judy. They also kind of went wild for Hitchcock, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can understand that, too, right? It's like hearkening back to a filmmaker that they all, you know, I don't know. like his movies. I don't know. It's not I, the movie being what it is. It's Helen Mirren. They can't, they can't deny Helen Mirren. Right. It's also Anthony Hopkins. Helen Mirren, sure almost that... nominated for that movie. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Judy's win, though. She beats Helen Mirren for Hitchcock. She does. She also beats Meryl again uh, for Hope Springs. She beats also the self-funded campaign by Anne Dowd for Compliance. People don't talk about this anymore, which is interesting. I feel like we should, especially in light of the two Leslie thing, because it feels like Anne Dowd did everything by the book for yeah. Compliance. In the way that, how close do you think she came as, getting to getting a supporting actress nomination? Not at all. You don't think so? Yeah, I, I tend not to agree all. with you. I tend to agree with you. Um, but I appreciate the effort, honestly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then Emmanuel Riva for Amour, which I think is maybe a little bit. No, I'm I'm not even going to finish that sentence. It's not surprising that she didn't beat Judy Dench for the best. Yeah, example, I think that's the thing. Him. It's Judy Dench. Yeah. yeah. Um, also nominated for Best Grown-Up Love Story. Yes, I love, as I said, I love the Judy Dench, uh, Bill Nye story in this. Best comedy. Or maybe it's Tom Wilkinson and his former lover. I mean, also wonderful. Yes. The Del- worst thing about Best Grown-Up Love Story is what is the winner? Hitchcock. Hitchcock, yeah. that's yeah. Hitchcock. Yeah. Who wins Best Supporting Actor that year? Uh, supporting Actor goes to... Why is I have to, okay? This is actually rad. This is why we need to consider the AARP movie for grownups a major precursor. Who wins? None other than my beloved John Goodman for Flight. 
Oh, people hated that performance, though, I remember. People, like, thought that character... Yeah, but John Goodman needs an Oscar nomination. No, I agree with that. But, like, people really... Uh, people who thought that the flight... People hated that movie. I, people didn't hate the movie. I think the aspects of that movie that people hated were, like, wrapped up in... Like, I think that movie is not a super well-written movie. I think that movie gets by on the visuals of that plane crash scene, which, like, speaking of, like, scenes that I go back and watch out of its sense of masochism, uh, I watched the plane <laughs> crash scene in flight. Um, and then also Denzel's performance in Incredible. That. Um, I think Goodman is often wrapped up in the parts of the movie that are not super well-written. I think his character's more than a little bit of a caricature but yes i'm always happy that john goodman but like have him win for argo once again like kind of inexplicable from a he lot has of to play second fiddle to alan arkin though yeah, alan arkin who's not nominated here by the way yeah. the other oscar nominees are tommy lee jones in lincoln and robert de niro for silver lang's playbook do you have this pulled up right now? i do i'm looking at it i can't guess it. okay Sorry. i was going to try to gag you yeah the other nominee gary's listeners <sighs> beloved i hate this is Mr. Thomas Cruise for Rock of Ages. We're going on a decade now of certain people out there trying to convince the rest of us that Tom Cruise is good in Rock of Ages, and I will not have it. I'm sorry. I Who's under- out there watching Rock of Ages? Nobody. That's the thing. They watched it once back then, but it's 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 a fun idea that Tom Cruise was great in Rock of Ages, actually. Right. And it's just... It's just not true i know it would be fun if it were true <laughs> but it's just not true it is absolutely on the same level of his performance in tropic thunder and i feel like even the tom cruise people don't like to talk about the tropic thunder performance anymore. his golden globe his tropic golden thunder, globe nominated golden globe nominated tropic thunder as performance. scott rudin in tropic thunder yeah, right yeah yeah um in this category, I might have voted for Tom Wilkinson for Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, even though I love Tommy Lee Jones and Lincoln so much. Right. Um, right. But Wilkinson's really, Wilkinson's very good in Exotic Marigold. The further you get in hindsight, I think the stranger it is, because we talked a little bit about that supporting actor race, it, the the more surprising it is that Tommy Lee Jones didn't win, because Tommy Honestly. Lee Jones like is of the stature of someone who you would believe would need a second acting oscar he had gone the long has two right well right de niro already had two of the people who only had one tommy lee jones had gone the longest without winning Mm -hmm. one and and lincoln had what 12 nominations but what i think it said what it says very clearly is how like even though lincoln was widely nominated nobody was hot for it right Right. You know, well, that, I think the fact that Lincoln doesn't it win should have been easy. For the fact that Lincoln gets beat out by Argo for screenplay is really what tells that tale. Like, if there was yeah. love for Lincoln, Lincoln absolutely walks to a screenplay win, and it doesn't. And it wins for a script for Argo. I like. I get if you like Argo, then you you know would naturally like the script for Argo. But like, I think Argo gets by on its cast, and you know, I think it's a well directed movie. I I. I I like Argo. I don't love it's Argo. It's a well-assembled like movie, too. Yeah. Like, that movie runs like a machine. Yeah, yeah. But anyway. But the, not because the screenplay got it there. Right, yeah. I agree. I agree. Anything else we want to talk about miscellaneous-wise for Best Exotic? Hmm... We didn't talk much about Penelope Wilton, who always seems to be playing the like least fun role in <laughs> yeah. fun movies. What else are you thinking she's, of? 
I'm thinking of Shaun of the Dead, where oh, she's like sure, she's the, the mom. Yeah. Yeah. With Bill Nye. Also, yeah. like, in a couple with Bill Nye, once again. So, yeah. Um, Bill Nye, by the way. I'll finish talking about Penelope Bolton, but then I want to talk about Bill Nye for half a second. I don't know. She, like, we we both already said we like that this is a movie that allows that story to not, you know, have a happy ending. But she really does just play so much of a monster mm-hmm. um, in a way that feels like the movie isn't even really giving her a chance to be the full person that even like Maggie Smith, who is introduced being as being a virulent racist. Right. Um, and gets to have humanity throughout. I don't think she really gets to, um, in the movie. Here's my question to you as I want to switch gears to Bill Nye for half a second though. Were you aware of him as an actor before love actually? Um, Stir Crazy, I think. Was that, was he in that rock and roll movie? Uh, or was I believe, just... yeah, Still Crazy, not Stir Crazy, Still Crazy. Right. I think I knew of him being in that without having seen the movie. Okay. I, I wasn't aware of him before Love Actually. And so that was. I think if he was a bigger name, like, I think if that Love Actually performance happens today and we don't already think of him as like that character basically yeah i think that's like an oscar winning performance i think that's very possible it's i i do i think he came probably pretty close to a nomination in 03 for love actually he got a bafta nomination i think for that movie um but so by this point in his career by 2012 he's sort of moved on to like he's in all those underworld movies right he's in uh had he showed up in Harry Potter by then? I think Harry Potter... Yes, he had. 2010. He's in uh, the first uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Um, but he sort of becomes that guy, right? He sort of is the guy you bring in for a small role in something. He's in The Constant Gardener. He's in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's in... He's, of course, Judy Dench's... Or not Judy Dench's. Uh, Kate Blanchett's husband in Notes on a Scandal, who uh, she cheats on. Um mm-hmm. He's in, oh, he plays Davy Jones in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, my least favorite of the ones of those that I have seen. Um, but I think it, it's, it was nice to see him. I like when a movie gives him a little bit of something to chew on. That's why I love About Time so much. That's why I love Pride so mm-hmm. much. Um, I'm so happy that Living Nomination happened. I feel like a great there nomination. is an alternate universe where he would have had a shot at winning an Oscar for that and instead he's kind of you know just an also ran i also i we don't talk about this movie because it really did get released right before the pandemic i really liked his mr woodhouse in emma in the uh the mm. emma with a period uh movie that came out yeah like emma period on the on the on the, on the eve of pandemic um i wonder if he was doing because he had done tv stuff too he won a golden globe is that right for Gideon's, Gideon's daughter. daughter. Yeah. Did he Along and, with Emily Blunt. Uh right. Yes. Um he was in the that same year, The Girl in the Cafe, which was another British TV movie, uh, with Kelly McDonald. He is in Oh, right, that page eight. Uh, I believe it was a miniseries, the David Hare British sure. series with him and Rachel Weiss that was about I imagine a newspaper of some sort, given that title. I haven't seen it. Um, or no, he's an MI5 officer. Okay, there we go. Uh, so spy thriller stuff. 
I may be thinking of <laughs> what was the one with Ben Washaw that was about the the newspaper around that time. Anyway, 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 anyway. Um, I love. Oh, Bo that's Hi. gonna drive me crazy because I watched that movie. What was no? it called? I don't know. I don't know either. Listeners, listen, we got a great year of Ben Washaw ahead. You think there's going to be? Wait, what else do we have ahead? I mean, we're going to watch Passages 200 times. Yeah, but it's not like he's going to be like in the awards uh, uh, conversation. He might be it. on my Sporting Actor Ballot by oh, the end of the year. You don't know. Ours, yes. I just mean the the greater landscape. Anyway. Sure. All right. Do we want to move on to the IMDb game? Yeah. Or do you have anything else to say about uh, Best Exotic? Good movie. Nice people. Love that, Judy Dench. Good job on writing it, Ole Parker. Decent job. I decent job, John Madden, even though I don't credit you with this film or its sequel at all. I I don't know. John Madden's the invisible <laughs> it's director. Part of, this of the Ole Parker universe for us. Genuinely. Um, yes. I feel like I'm the one who's bringing up so many bummers this episode, but I do kind of want to talk about what's happening with Judy Dench because she was just on Graham Norton talking about her. She's been dealing with uh, diminished eyesight for some yes, she time. Has. Yeah. And there was a there was a thought for a while there that she was going to have to retire about it, but that was like five years ago, I feel like. Even yeah, at least. Yeah. It was a and long time now ago. She doesn't, the thing is, she doesn't sound super optimistic about working, but she doesn't also sound, you know... Yeah. It doesn't feel like she's dire about it, but she is rather upfront that, you know, it's affecting her ability to just, like, learn lines. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Speaking of Judy on Graham Norton, though, the clip was making the rounds the other day of her previous appearance on Graham Norton, where she's talking about how she didn't, she doesn't think she's ever been in a gay bar. And Graham's like, yes, you have. I've been in one with you. And she's like, that's right. She's like, I don't remember why I was there though. And he's like, I do. And he's like, we were both there to see Cher. She's like, yes, I was. Um, it was lovely. As always, lovely Graham Norton clips. One of our finest. Truly. We love Dame Judy. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about the IMDb game then. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mentioned that up front. And after two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. IMDb game. All right. Do you want to give or guess first? Why don't I give first? All right. Whomst do you have for me? So uh, this movie, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, got a sequel called The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. One of the better, uh, finally, a movie does what Now uh, now You See Me didn't do and does the uh, logical choice for naming its sequel. <laughs> uh, it's a fantastic title, The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Uh, one of the newer cast members that they brought into that film was one Mr. David Strathairn, who we somehow have really? never done an IMDb game for. Yeah, Richard Gere and David Strathairn are the uh, are the cast members. I guess I maybe that. just forgot the trailers for that or something, but... It's possible. You know how I feel about David Strathairn. I do. That's why I want to make you guess his known for. Okay. Uh, good night and good luck. Good night and good luck. His Oscar nomination. Yes. Yes. Dolores Claiborne. No, not. Oh, and thank God. The the role um, that scarred me for years. <laughs> um, is the River Wild on there? No, and it should be. He's, Damn. 
wonderful in that movie. Iconically married to Meryl in that movie. All right, that is your second strike, so you get years. Your years are 1997, 2012, and 2014. 97 is LA Confidential. It sure is. Also playing a creepo in that movie. 2012 has to be... Oh, 2012 is Lincoln. 2012 is Lincoln, speaking of Lincoln. And what was the last year? 2014. Oh, okay. Um... Bet that this is something Oscar adjacent, but for 2014, what would that be? Um, interesting. There. 2014, what year is that? It's the year before Spotlight, so that. It's between. What's between. Oh, that sounds so stupid. But what is between? That's Birdman. No, Birdman is twenty fifteen. Birdman is twenty fourteen. Okay, so it's the Birdman year. Yeah. Um, Strathairn only has the one nomination. Yes. Um. It says only film credit from twenty fourteen. That's interesting. Interesting. Um, uh, is it like the Monuments Men? Isn't that that year? It might be, but it's not. But I don't not believe he's movie. in the Monuments Men. I think he's been in other movies Clooney has directed is the only thing. That could be. Huh. I mean, he doesn't really do franchise movies. He does, but not that I think would show up on his IMDb. Um... Give me some hints. Uh, it's a franchise movie. Oh, it's a great, great. Is it a Transformers movie? It's not, although I would have probably guessed that. I think, I think he, he is, is in, in one of he's in uh, Transformers. Yes, I think that's right. Is it? It's not the. Is it the MCU? It's not the MCU. Although okay. this movie. All right, two things about this movie. One, it's Marvel, but not MCU. No, uh, but it. It's two leads. Were Marvel people who have been in. Who have been connected in Marvel together, like their characters are connected in Marvel. There's They're both Avengers. Adjacent, yes. Mm. That's there's an asterisk on that one, but yeah, more or less. Um, it's a very well cast movie. Like for I really like this movie, but like for what it is, for the genre that it is, it's like oh, you got some really high end actors in this thing, didn't you? Um, a franchise, okay, but it's. One it's of like the two Marvel people right that I'm talking about was somebody who we I referenced earlier in this episode, who we kind of disagree on. We kind of disagreed on like Hugh him. Jackman? No. I like this and actor. Have... You don't like this actor. Oh. Um, who was that? I noted that the culture was coming around on this actor, and you were like, eh, maybe not. I'm I'm so fried I know. after this weekend that uh Well we also talk uh, about eight billion people in these episodes. Can't remember an hour ago. Um Okay, but it's a well cast franchise movie. Was this a summer franchise movie? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it is probably like an action adventure franchise type of movie. Um two people who are somehow connected in the MCU leading it. 
it wouldn't be Hunger Games because those weren't summer. Right. It. It's also like technically there are actors who are the leads of this movie, but like this movie is about the a non-human. Right. A non-human, but not a transformer. Right. What were non-human? A titular non-human. Phenomenal. Chappie. And (laughs) no, not Chappie. Organic rather than mechanical. Oh, organic. Plant character. No. Is it the Oogie Loves? (laughs) Organic in that, like, it's alive. Right. As opposed to... A living animal. Yeah-ish. Yeah. Beast. Yeah. Monster, you might say. A monster? A monster. Um... Monsters University... No. No, but like a very famous movie monster. Oh, okay. Like part of the uh like universal slate of monsters. No, but um like an iconic movie monster huge, like massive in size, uh originated not in the United States. Godzilla. Oh, he's in the Gareth Edwards Godzilla. There it is. Yeah. Good movie. Good movie. Really like it. Uh, the MCU thing is that it's Elizabeth Olsen and Aaron Taylor Johnson who yeah. played brother and sister yeah. in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. I don't know if Aaron Taylor Johnson ever quite made it to Avenger status is why I was sort of like, eh, maybe. He's the villain in Godzilla, right? No, he's the guy. He's the, like, he's the... I mean, David Strathairn is always the guy. Oh, David Strathairn is the villain. He's the admiral. He's the military guy. So, like, in as much as, like, the military is the villain. Yeah, 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 probably. Yeah. God, that Godzilla movie rules and the sequels are just such dog shit. I didn't see the sequels just because I I wanted to preserve the the first one. Yeah, I I like that 2014 Godzilla quite a bit. All right, hit me. For you, sir, prescribing this movie only to Ol Parker... When there is a whole (laughs) John Madden cinematic universe, and I have gone through the John Madden archives of his performers, and I have pulled for you one of his performers from one of the movies that we have done, Mr. Mark Strong. Oh, from Miss Sloan? Yes. Seeing Miss Sloan? Yeah, okay. Oh, see, this is the thing. You know that I have professed to have had previously Mark Strong facial facial blindness. And you know that I have in recent episodes professed that I am going to do something bitchy and difficult for you. Oh, is this it? Is this my this chickens coming home to roost? I get this fucking Mark it. Strong. You fucking me. Uh, Mark Strong, uh, uh, you know, we've unpacked. There's still so much of tar left to be unpacked. You think that we haven't that we have unpacked everything there is to talk about tar, but I we feel haven't like talked we have enough about Mark a, Strong. Yeah, we haven't had a full conversation as a culture about Mark Strong's wig yep. in tar. Yep, yep, you're right. You're right. We haven't. We should. We I mean, We're, time's running out. We're going to have to have that conversation soon. Um. Anyway, Mark Strong. I'm going to guess Kingsman: The Secret Service. Kingsman the Secret Service, correct. Is it the other Kingsman, the Gold Circle or whatever? Incorrect, okay. not Kingsman the Gold Circle. Okay. I don't even know if he's in that one. I think he is. Um, and the other one is like a prequel, so probably not. Okay. Um, Mark Strong. 
God damn it, I'm so mad at you for this. Genuinely Mr. So mad Marcus Strong. Kickass? Incorrect, not kickass. Speaking All of right, Taylor so. Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your years are 2012, the year we're talking about, and two movies from 2019. Jesus Christ. 2019, the year that is lost in my memory hole. Okay. Um, <laughs> 2012, Mark Strong. Skyfall? Is he in Skyfall? Uh, he could be in Skyfall, but that is not correct. Doesn't it seem like a movie that he would be in? That feels like a movie that... Sh- this is the problem with Mark Strong, yeah. is I end up going on like, that sounds like a movie that Mark Strong would have been in. Uh, any of the Bourne movies uh, feel like... Uh, be- two of these three are definitely those kind of movies. Okay, all right. Um, So, like... I, the third one, I have not seen. So, like, uh, uh, political thrillers that have, like, a blue-gray color palette, like that kind of a thing? Is he in yeah. a born? Is he in a born movie? Is he in? He could be in a born movie, but none of those are correct. Okay. Um, political thriller. Two thousand twelve and twenty nineteen. Right. None of those years are state of play. Although I don't think he's in state of play, but I'm trying to go for like political thriller. Um. I imagine he plays like bureaucrat slash senator slash something i'm gonna need some hints general yeah i'm gonna need some hints okay uh two of these three the two that i've seen are best picture nominees whoa okay bombshell no was bombshell a best picture nominee i don't even think it was uh god i don't think it was okay how dare you bring it up if it was 2019 best picture nominee not Parasite, not wait. He's in nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen, okay, correct. There we go. All right, it's one of his twenty nineteen movies. Twenty twelve Best Picture nominee. Is he also in Lincoln? Uh, he could be in Lincoln, but Lincoln is not correct. Okay, it would have been wild if we both picked actors who's uh, had Lincoln on their IMDb's. Okay, no, it wouldn't. There's nine thousand people. In but even still, the coincidence. All right. Um, I don't think he's in Django. I don't think he's in Silver Linings Playbook. Is he in Argo? Uh, maybe, but that's not it. You're going to get there eventually if you keep going this route. He's not in Amor. He's not in Beasts of the Southern Wild. Um, Not in Lincoln, as we said. All right. Not in Les Mis. Not in Les Mis. Fuck. Is it just like the one? Have I, have I mentioned it? Have I ruled it out? We've talked about it this episode. Okay. What did I say? Lincoln? No. Argo? No. Silver Linings? No. Amor? No. Beasts of the Southern Wild? No. <laughs> listeners are no. laughing. I know listeners are laughing. Probably. Fuck all of you for laughing at me. Um, well, this, because I said a bitchy thing, too. The Master is not a Best Picture nominee. Not a nominee Best Picture nominee, that sadly. Um, he's not in Django. We said that. So that's seven. Um, there's like two more. That was a nine. You're gonna get zero there dark thirty. Even. He's in zero dark yes, thirty. That's, why were you gonna get there eventually? Yeah, it's because it's the last alphabetically. Uh, oh, I wasn't going alphabetically, but yes, yes, I would have. Okay. Um, all right, so another 2019 movie. Another 2019 movie. This is a franchise movie. I haven't seen this movie. Franchise movie 2019 superhero or otherwise superhero DC superhero. Yes, Aquaman. No. Uh, Nobody gives a shit about this movie. 
Okay. It made a lot of money. No one gives a fuck. Oh, that's very funny. Um, It was after Justice League, but before Snyder Cut. It was between the Wonder Womans, Wonder Women, um, not Aquaman. Come on, DC. Let's get sickening. Um, DC. Super. Oh, Shazam. Shazam. I liked, I saw and liked Shazam, but don't remember Mark Strong being in Shazam. I'm sure he is. I'll probably see the sequel, even though I don't like Zachary Levi, but yes. <laughs> um, and uh, Zachary Levi is anti-vaccine. Yes. Um, I think people liked Shazam. People don't really, it did really like, it had a fast fade. I have like, not encountered a single human being having a conversation about the motion picture Shazam. I've had multiple conversations about the motion picture Shazam, so I'm apparently hogging all of the Shazam fans. I mean, fans. how recently have you had a well, personal conversation about the motion picture Shazam? Well, I saw the trailer for the upcoming one uh, with a friend of mine, and we were talking about it. You were like, remember so. that movie Shazam? I forgot it existed. No, we both liked Shazam. Defying you. Defying your sense of the film Shazam. Uh, Mark Gary's Strong's- getting our mentions. Does uh, do you care about Shazam or do you not care about Shazam? We're listening. Shazaminators, get in our mentions. Uh, come talk to us. Um, Shazaminators. I don't know. What's a good one? Shazam. Shazam and cheesers. I don't know. What's a- less Shazam, more Kazam with Shaquille O'Neal. No, also not that. Not that. A movie I definitely care more about. All right, let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right, uh, listeners. That is our episode. If you want more of this head Oscar Buzz, you can check out our Tumblr at this head Oscarbuzz.tumblr.com. Please also follow us on Twitter at head underscore Oscar underscore buzz and also on Instagram at this head Oscar Buzz. Mm. Joe, where can our listeners find more of you? Uh, Twitter and letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R E I D. I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Kevin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get those podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with it helps us out with apple podcast visibility so tell everyone we are the best exotic marigold podcast uh that's all for this week we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz and our first 2021 movie